truth, honor, loyalty, character. Welcome to the Long Green Line podcast. This is Maddie Arnold, your host and the director of the Long Green Line movie. Today we are releasing interview two with Coach Joe Newton. This is another one of the interviews that we captured in Orange County in 2004. The York team had just won the Illinois state title and the Nike team national title, and Coach Newton was in Orange County. We captured this interview in January of 2005. This was the year in this interview. Coach Newton talks about the power of focus on the process and doing the work and letting the outcomes speak for themselves. He doesn't focus on winning. Winning is the result. His main focus tends to be on consistency, hard work, and defining values of loyalty and character. Coach Newton shares his timeless words of wisdom regarding perseverance, networks, relationships, and how to do it all today. So your traditions and your life lessons that you teach your guys helps them to to find you know the best to, to be the best that they can be. How do you how do you reinforce that? Well, we reinforce it every single day. Uh, we have a team meeting every day and we try to talk about things for 10 or 15 minutes. If you talk too long, they'll turn you off. But one of the big things that our program is based on is the fact that uh, even though we win all the time, we don't put the emphasis on the winning. We put the emphasis on that every day that you come to practice, you got to be the best that you can be every day, not just once a week, twice a week, three times a week, or whatever you feel like it. You got to come to practice every day and be the best that you can be. And then we'll add the score up. And if you're the best you can be and we got the talent, we're going to win. But that's what the emphasis is on. And that's training for life. Because when you get out of school and you don't have all that protection and you're on your own, if you're going to make it in life, you got to be the best you can be every day. You can't be once a month if you're going to do something and go to the top of the mountain. So that's what the whole program is about. Just coming and being the best you can be. And uh, a prime example of that is a kid that I, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. It was Sir Srinanu Hanamadas, and I call him Hambone. I call his mother Ma Hambone, Pa Hambone, Sister Hambone. And by the way, I think he's a lawyer here in L.A. now. I just got a card from him. But uh, Hambone once wrote me this letter that was just so magnificent, and it's in my new book. And Hambone, his senior year, we were having a little trouble right about three weeks before the end of the season. A couple guys were hurt. Brian Gary was hurt. Hambone was hurt. And he had a team meeting and I'll never forget. He said, man, we got to circle the wagons and I'm a, I'm a nut on the old West. And of course that was the old West circle the wagons when the Indians came. He said, we got to circle the wagons so we can get this job done. And then we won our state championship. The point I want to make with Hambone is when he came as a freshman, he probably weighed 80 pounds. I don't think he'd ever run before in his life. And by the time he was a senior, he was an all-state runner and just one of the greatest competitors I ever had. And he had this tremendous will to win and circle the wagons and get the team in order. So that's our whole philosophy. Be the best you can be, come out, and we'll go from there. Uh, in your team meetings, they're, they're, you get guys first, you're going to go over the procedure, they check in, they, you give them a talk. Right. Every day they come, let's say this fall, there's 160 guys. I sit there with my roll book. They come up to the desk and they check in. And about 90% of them check in with their nick nicknames. They don't even use their regular name. They just give me their name, hand bone, uh, bonehead, knucklehead, whatever it is for that particular person. Because that's that personal touch again. That's between he and they and I. And so then after I get them all checked down, I don't let the manager do it. Now they're all sitting there. And every day I try to talk about mother, apple pie, the American flag, be a patriot, be a good character guy, and 
give them a little story about something that's different each day, but has to do with being the best you can be, being a good citizen, being a good team guy. And we do that every day for about 10, 12, 15 minutes at the most. And then we go to practice. And I, also I might tell a joke or something to make them laugh a little bit because we got a hard practice and we're trying to put them in a frame of mind that they're going to go out there and try to get done what we got to do. But I, and there's probably about, I give them 20 minutes from the time the bell rings to let them out of school till they have to be sitting for the meeting. So there's always six or seven minutes and it, it's also a time where they're all together sitting there and God, they're talking and buzzing and there's communication going on. And so it's kind of a bonding time, even though they don't know it, but I'm watching all this talk and then I'll blow the whistle, all right, quiet. And we go to our little meeting and then we get them feeling pretty good. Out we go to work out. You know, it might be 25 below zero and I'm saying, hey, 45 below in Caribou, Maine, great to be in Elmer. Something to just take their mind off the, the hard work and the agony that's gonna happen out there. But so we're together as a team every day. And, and then somebody will ask a question and you know, we'll answer that. And so it's a good communication time. So you tell jokes. Well, not necessarily a joke, but something funny. I like to sometimes belittle myself because, you know, when you're the boss and you, you can't act like you're God. So I'll, I'll say things that demean myself and it makes them laugh. Yeah, yeah, the old Koya, I say I'm so old or something like that. And I'm forgetful and it's my fault. And, and so it kind of sets a tempo that we're all the same, except I'm the boss, but we're all the same. How, how much does uh, a sense of humor take into account for your team? Uh, I think uh, I like to make them laugh. I think uh, laughter is good for the soul. Um, you know, you never get an ulcer if you're laughing. So uh, there's a certain time at the meeting or when we're doing some cal outside where I'll say some funny things to make them laugh and or say something stupid that makes them laugh because that's good to, to promote laughing instead of everybody going out there being sad and worried about the workout and complaining and so on and so forth. So I, I, I and I, you can't take yourself too serious in this life, you know, and I try to be that way, the way I act around kids and you, know, you can be the boss and you can have discipline, but our program is structured from the little guy up. America in the business world is structured from the big guy down and what's happened in America. All the CEOs are stealing all the money. The company goes bankrupt and the little guy's out of a job. But in Asia, I learned that reading about business, they structure their companies in Asia from the little guy to the top. So the little guy buys into the, to the company because he feels like he's part of, he's a part owner because everybody cares about the little guy up to the top guy. Where in America, they don't care about the little guy. It's all the top guys. Well, I structure my team like Asia. The little guy is just as important as the big guy. Everybody feels a part of it. Everybody wants to be on a team. So when, how important, or how do you create the leadership within the team? Do, I, do the best runners tend to be the best leaders? Uh, not necessarily. There? See, we have a most valuable and we have a captain. Uh, during the season, I appoint the captains. At the end of the season, I let the team vote who they want to be, captain or co-captain. And then I say, the captain is a leader. He might not be the best runner, but he's a leader. The best runner is the most valuable, but he might not be a leader. So you got to decide who our most valuable is. That's, and I said, then sometimes there's a guy that's most valuable and a leader. There's been years where the captain most valuable been the same guy, but you have to make that differentiation. 
and the way I try to promote leadership, I have six groups of training, seven in the top group, seven in the second group, seven in the third group. So that's 21 guys, that's my best 21. Then the next group, I might have 15. When I get down to group six, I might have 40, 50 guys in there. That's all my slower guys. And then I make a captain or two captains for each group. And those guys are responsible for leadership in their group. So we got group loyalty. And then all the groups are also loyal to the whole team. But each group has their captains. And then I usually take three or four captains for the whole team during the season. It depends on how many good seniors I got. And then at the end, I let the boys vote for who they actually want to, to be. And that way, we got a lot of, we got 15, 20 guys during the season. I say, this is your team. And, and a key word that I use is, and, and this Dr. Tutko is the one that had taught me this, the one that you just interviewed down there, that the buzzword in psychology right now is what they call empowerment. And that's where you empower people to be the best they can be, to be leaders, that this is their team and their job is to make this the best team. Like I'm the boss, but it's their team and you gotta be a leader and you gotta, I'm empowering you to just come every day with great thoughts. And I use that word all the time and that's a big secret. And, and leadership really is, I, I don't know how to say it exactly, but it's like getting people to do what you want them to do because they think that's what they want to do. That's what a leader can do. And uh, you have in running, Brady knows well, you got peer group pressure. You go out there on a day and you're in a group and you don't feel like running that day. So you say to all your buddies, all right, now take it easy today. Don't make me look bad in front of the coach. And it accelerates the whole thing. So those captains of those groups are hard on days when you don't feel like running. Group feel like they want to run good, even though that's what you want them to do. But you got to make them think that's what they want to do. And so leadership is very important and empowerment to make just your team the best team it can be. And then they buy into it. They say, well, I don't care who gets credit. I have all my entourage too, like your dad and all that. I got about, I gave out 95 gold medals this year I bought to all my entourage, secretaries at York, the guys out, the copper out in the parking lot, da 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 da, the mayor, anybody that helps me, I, I'm empowering. I say, see, we won because of you. So they all feel like they're part of the team. They're empowered to, and that's important to have an entourage. You know, I got all kinds of people that help me. Mr. Dunham, Mr. Newman, O'Rourke, they've been with me for years. Empowerment, include people, make them think and buy into the fact that this is their team. So what, how, what are the forms of that gratitude come in? The forms of the gratitude, toward, toward me or you mean, or toward them? To I, your empowered ones. Oh, I mean, because then they think they're responsible for the team. They're responsible because we win. And I don't care who's responsible, just so we win. You know, like I, I used to give one to the band guy. And then the band thinks they come down and play and they think they're, they're that's why we win. The cheerleaders, they come down and they think that's why we won. All my entourage comes down, they think that's why we won. I got the police copper liaison at York, Steve Wright, he comes with us. The night before the meet, make sure there's quiet. Anybody screwing around the parking lot, he runs them out. Give him a medal, okay? The AD gets a medal. The principal gets a medal. Superintendent gets a medal. And that way, people don't resent you then. You see, because when you win a lot, Matt, people resent you. They don't like the Yankees. They don't like Notre Dame. They don't like York. They resent you. But when you got your aunt, see, and that's why when I have a meet at home, a dual meet, 
I try to get a, a teacher from every department in New York come over and help me. Somebody from the math department, the history department, the English department, and help run off that dual meet. And I say, oh, man, we couldn't have had this meet without you guys here. That's terrific. You're part of the entourage. Then when we win, they feel like it's their, they, they're responsible, so they feel good. They don't resent me. They, everybody gets their credit. I learned that when I was a young coach, that people just resent you when you win. They don't like you. But if they think they're part of it, if you include them, I don't care if the guy goes down and says, we won it because I, did, did, I drove the bus. Who cares? I don't know if you want to come from, but you got to let people know that if they're going to be with you, they're going to get credit. How does that transcend to families and interpersonal relationships? Oh, my God. We got so many. You know, I'm, I'm now at the stage of life where I'm getting sons and grandsons running for me of, you know, people that started with me 40 some years ago. So, yeah, when you have everybody in a big entourage, a big family, it extends through the whole town. I mean, I got so many things. I get guys that likes me over at the cleaners. I take my cleaner. He won't charge me. I, uh, the guy at the Chrysler gives us four or five vans to go to state meet every year. The tuxedo guy gives us 25 tuxes for a week. That's about four grand for nothing. They're all part of the, the whole York mistake, the whole empowerment to be part of the team. And it's just, it's marvelous. I mean, wow. I got doctors that and a chiropractor takes care of me. I go to five times a week, no charge, because he loves me and he's our, that made him our team doctor. So I, I found out, my grandma told me when I was a little guy, and they're really coming back to me now. She said, Jody, you know, it's better to give than receive. And I remember saying, Grandma, wait a minute, I like to get gifts. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm seven or eight years old. But now that I'm old, honest, the more you give, the more you receive. It's just amazing. I got all these people that are helping me because they care about me, because I care about them. So it's just a fantastic, it's what that Bill O'Reilly talks about. You got to have relationships with people that care about you that'll take care of you. And I got 150 people take care of me like that. You know, just your dad. He's got people the same way. Your dad would do anything for me. I'd do anything for your dad. How much do you think um, <clears throat> faith takes a part in your program? Well, I. You know, I, I, I'm always, I, you, you got to be careful on that line. But I, 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 in one of these speeches two or three times during the year, I, I interject a little thing about spiritual. If you got that spiritual something going for you, I don't care what it is, you can run better if you got the spirit. And then I bring, okay, now we're going to run for Mr. Brady. We're going to get him a trophy. We're going to run for Fido. We're going to get him a trophy. We're going to run for Charlie's father-in-law. We're going to give him the medal. We're going to run for that guy for IC. It's that spiritual extra that goes right along with also doing others you want them to do under you. But because I swear so much, I got to be real careful that I don't do good because it's kind of contradictory when you're talking about God and then, then, God damn it, you dumb son of a bitch, what the hell are you doing? You're killing us. You got to edit that. But <laughs> so I have to be very careful. But I mean, I, I used to take my grandma to church for like 20 years. Uh, until I got out of college. Every Sunday I'd come back from Northwestern, take my grandma to church. I was a regular church goer. Lately I've kind of fallen off because we've moved around a lot. But So I try to, without being obnoxious about it, include that spiritual something. Because if you got that little extra thing going for you, it kills me when all these pro athletes, so as soon as they get down, well, I want to thank Jesus Christ and, uh, uh, you know, 
Meantime, they're out shooting people and shooting dope. and <laughs> So I don't try to be that way. And then I'm October every year, my father died about oh, 1976. So that's 20, 30 years ago almost. And uh, I went down to Florida because they called me. He was on a deathbed, and I got to get down there in time to tell him I loved him. So like October 3rd, I think he died. That day at practice, they come, I say, now I want you all to go home tonight and tell your mother and dad you love them because you don't do that. You're a teenager, and they love you, and it's free. And here today, go on tomorrow. I said, my father died, and I got to go down and tell him before he passed. So that's a tradition now at York for the last 25 years. Every October, everybody in the team is supposed to go home and hug their mother and father and tell them they love them. That's that spiritual something too. So, but and I'm trying to stop swearing. I really am. But yeah, because when you're running individually, yeah. you, you and it's an endurance sport. There's a, a certain time in there where you want to give up. Sure. How do you convince people? or inspire people never to give up or not to give up during that long stretch where it starts hurting so much. And okay, well I have one saying that covers that. The greatest thing in life is not in never having fallen, but in rising up again. Okay, so you fall off the pace, but you rise up. And then these groups that we have, I tell the guys in group one, there's seven guys, they all aren't exactly the same ability, but I say, if you wanna get better in cross country, every day that you run with this group, you stay up in the group a little longer each day. Then you know, your brain says, hey, I'm a little better today. Yes, I only ran a mile with the boys. Today they dumped me at the mile and a half. So within each group, every day you're trying to get better by running as long as the leader of that group runs good pace. Now, it doesn't mean a squat if the leader's dogging it and everybody looks good because they're staying together. That's false security. So the leader's got to push the pace, and then all the other guys got to try to stay up a little longer. If they can't, then when we finally get to take a walk before we start the next segment, catch back up so that when you start, you're back together. Always harping on group running, and we, I tell them there's a point in every race where every guy comes to the point where he can't take another step, he slows down. But we want you guys to come to that point right when you hit the chute at the end of the race. And that's what we train for. How does that transcend to uh, daily life? Well, it's, we're going back to daily life, doing the best you can with what you got every day that you get up. And you got to hang in there when the going gets tough. That's how it really transcends. I get a lot of kids to come back and say, boy, you know, the things you taught me about hanging on in life and those 25 quarters in the rain, my problems don't seem very much compared to that. So that transcends into life too, that when you're able to hang in there in a tough time, see, because anybody can run good when they feel good, but you gotta be a heck of a guy to run good when you don't feel good. You got a headache, you hurt your finger. I read that in a baseball article once about, they asked this pitcher that had won 309 games in the majors. I can't think of his name at the moment. And he said, well, I was able to discipline myself during the hard times. He said, anybody can go pitch when you feel good. But he said, I was able to pitch when I didn't feel good. That's how I went 309 games. So they're, they're learning to discipline themselves to do all that work, which carries right over when the going gets tough out in the real world. And you and you know, it's a tough world out there, man. Who's taking care of you? You're on your own. Unless you get some relationships with some friends that care about you. And they learn that too, because they make these friendships. 
And their friends, I say to the guys, you know, you don't get this in the academic area. These guys that you're sitting with here right now today, many of the meetings you were at, they're going to be your friends for life. I'm, a, I'm 74 years old. I still got 20 guys that I hang around with that were on my teams at Parker High School 60 years ago. We're still teammates. We're all dying off, but we got that on the athletic field that you'll never get anyplace else. And when you're hanging around with Matt, you made friends in sport. Sport does things for you like that. So a lot of the traditions that you, you have deal with the, uh, the uniform yeah. of, the, of the guys, the sweatsuits, yeah. right. the knit hats. Yeah. And a lot of those things, not only do they create that community, but they also have a functional purpose. Absolutely. How are some ways that you get, you know, cool, punky little high school kids to wear a knit hat? Well, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of things I want to say about that because I, I feel that if you look sharp, you feel sharp, you run sharp. So whenever we travel, we have to go someplace, the state meet, we always dress in suit and tie sport coat and tie because I've also found that when kids got their good clothes on they'll act more dignified if you let them go in dungarees and t-shirts and they look like crap and then they act like that so and I learned that the Yankees in the 20s and 30s and 40s had a manager named Joe McCarthy and the Yankees used to have those pinstripe baseball suits the Yankee pinstripe every place they went they were dressed in suit and tie because Joe McCarthy said you know my guys, I want them to be professionals, and they're going to look sharp, and they're going to act the part because they're the benchmark. I read that in a book about 40 years ago. So then I started having my guys dress up because I also added my own thoughts about how it made them act better. Okay, Then we wear the tuxedo if we get a trophy at the state meet. I mean, the guys look like a million bucks, and everybody else is going, oh. you know, it gives them a feeling of a real identity that they, they mean something. So we have this tradition now of dressing all the time, acting good, wearing the tuxedos. Uh, you know, I can't say too much now with the rules, but I try to keep my guys groomed. You know, no beards, goatees, stashes. You know, I have in my file, I can't ask a guy, to, I can't make a guy get a haircut or I'm fired. But I can say, would you please get a haircut for me? If you'll do that for me, that sacrifice, then I'll do anything for you for the rest of your life. Get your job, write your letter, make a phone call, do whatever you want. So we talk about sacrifice too. And then one thing I want to make sure you knew, because uh, I've, I've tried to find out what makes for successful people. And there's a guy named E.H. Gray that wrote an essay. Here's a study, what he found out successful, well, the one trait that successful people had. And here it is. He said, I found that successful people are the ones that will do things that other people won't do. He said, yeah, talent might have a little effect, uh, character might have a little effect, he said, but the, or luck might have a little, but the most outstanding thing is that successful people do the little things that other people won't do. And not necessarily because they like to do it, but because of the force of their will and their determination, they do it. And they get the job done where other people, well, I'm not going to get up at 6 o'clock and go around. Well, I'm not going to lift weights on Sunday. Well, I'm going to cut the workout today. Well, I'm going to take a day off. So I try to make our guys be successful by doing all the things that the other kids won't do. 
and sometimes they don't get it until they get to be seniors and then the light bulb goes off and bingo whole life changes so um how so you've had some challenges as far as um, trying to maintain a, a communal uh, aesthetic with haircuts and things yeah how do you um, deal with the challenges of individuality versus the community or how do you encourage it well I just where do you, where do you see the individuality comes into play well I, I but I want to go back I forgot you asked me too about the stocking caps and I, I just everybody when we go to state meet and everybody's got the green stocking cap on we're united you know we got all the York runners 160 guys they all got their stocking cap on they look neat they look sharp and they're warm so it might not mean anything to the guy as a freshman but another thing I want to touch on is that we have a rule at York that no other school's got. I don't give a freshman cross-country guy a uniform, a sweatsuit and a meat suit, until he's running the first meet and made the course without walking. If he walks, no suit. Got to wait till the next meet. My reasoning is I want him to earn that suit. Then I hear my little freshman, they'll... Say, look at that guy in that other team. This is the first meet. The coach gave him their uniform. We got to earn ours. So that when they leave as a senior, they don't want to give that suit back because that suit means so much to them because they earned it. And four years later, they're going to graduate and they want to take that suit with them. They almost got to rip it off their back to get it back because it means so much to them. Then the new question, say it again. I went back to the old question. What was the new one? Where, where does individuality come into play? Okay, well, I try to explain to the kids in my own way. I don't know specific, but, you know, it's hard to sacrifice within the context of a team because every human being has his own turf. And you say to me, Matt, now, don't come into this turf. This is my area. Stay the heck out. But I say, you know, Every guy on his team, at one time or another, is going to have to sacrifice a little of his own turf for the good of the team. Your folks won't understand that. I'm talking about maybe get a haircut, maybe go to bed, maybe don't go to the next beer party, maybe don't take that hit on the pot, da-da-da-da-da, whatever it may be, but you're going to have to make a sacrifice for our team. But I can't be too heavy on this stuff anymore because there's danger, there's lawyers and parents. You never have any problems with the sophomore, junior, or senior parents. It's always the freshman parents because they've never had some guy come along and say, got to practice every Saturday, 7 o'clock, East End Park, can't miss. Two misses, you're done. Hey, got to maintain your certain grade point. If you don't, you're done. Hey, you got to be here on, there's a three-day holiday this week. Too bad. You got to be here Saturday and Monday. What do you mean? What's this guy doing? He can't do that because all their life, they just do what they want to do and then, the guy comes to high school and his coach is saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. But, you know, I said, team has to transcend. If you're going to be on a team, you can't go away for four or five days and then come back. And in the meantime, you're going to take the spot of a guy that's been there practicing twice a day while you took off. But once the kid is on the team as a freshman and the parents learn the rules, then they like it. And everything's okay. So all the times I have problems now is with freshman parents. But after a while, they get it. Do you find yourself a lot of times uh, taking on a lot of a, a parent role? Oh God, yeah, all the time. There's a lot of parent. There's a lot of there's a lot of dysfunctional families in this society, and there's a lot of one parent families in this society. And uh, the coach sometimes now is like the parent. 
I mean, in addition, we have one kid on my team this year. His, his mother died last year and his father died this year. He's living with a caretaker now. He's got no mother and father. I'm like his father. I mean, I just helped him get in Marquette. I'm not bragging, but he came to my office and he was in tears. He got a letter and said, well, we can't tell you until April. I said, sit down. I called the coach at Marquette, said a few things to him. Within one week, he got a letter. He's in Marquette now. So yeah, that's in this day and age, you're, even if they got a mother and father sometimes, there's another bonding there that they'll tell you things they won't even tell their own mother and father. So I have to be very careful of my role too. I gotta, so I wish I could cut my swearing down a little bit because that's, it's not so good. Do you think, do you think that it, it adds to your, your character? Oh yeah, I mean people, kids say they heard about me when they're in the fifth grade, that guy over at York swearing all the time. I said, well that's embarrassing, but, <clears throat> but they, they kind of live with it. And sometimes I do it to be funny. Sometimes I do it to make a point because unless you swear, sometimes that they don't get it. But it's not good. And that's the only thing I tell them, don't do as I, because I don't let them swear around me. Don't do as I do, do as I tell you. But everything else, I'm not a hypocrite. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chase, I don't screw around. I try to be a role model. But swearing, and I never swore in high school. In college, I started swearing when I got in the Army because everybody else was drunk, taking drugs, and I didn't want to do that. So to be one of the boys, I started swearing. And once I started swearing, guys come back and haven't seen me in 35 years, since 40 years, and, geez, you never swore in high school. What happened? You know, F this and do this. But that's how I got into that in the service because I didn't want to be ostracized by all the guys that were screwing around. I want to be one of the guys. Do you still run? I, I, I ran until I had a running streak of 21 years, 24 days. I started January, or no, August 3rd in 19, I stopped in 94, so that would be about 1973. I was at a clinic in Florida and I went to the track at three in the morning and there was about 50 people running. They had a new all-weather track at the University of Florida in Gainesville. I said, you know what, I think I'm gonna, I've always worked out, but I'm gonna try to run it every day the rest of my life. I lasted for 21 years, 24 days, August 24th in 1994. My, my knee was hurting me so bad I couldn't walk. And school was gonna open the next day. I went to the doctor, excuse me. And he said, uh, you've had a stress fracture in your knee now for three years. He says, I told you last year and the year before. So he called me an a-hole. He said, if you don't, Dr. Durkin, if you don't stop running, I won't treat you anymore. You're gonna be, you're gonna be paralyzed. So I stopped. August 24th, 1993 or 94, one of those years. And I haven't run since, but I ride a bike, I lift weights, I stretch, I walk. I don't know, out in Goodyear, I walk three days a week, three miles, and the other days, two miles. So I'm walking about 17, 18 miles a week. But I can't run anymore because I got no cartilage right here. And then I had this stress fracture here, and then I had to have this cartilage taken out, so I can't run. But I, I try to stay in shape because, once again, I'm a role model. I can't be smoking cigarettes in front of your athletes and tell them, don't smoke, or let's go out and run 20 today, and you weigh about 400 pounds. So I try to, you know, at my age, I ain't in too bad a shape, but I'm falling apart, but I'm trying to hang on. If you could have uh, a choice of your athletes either being passionate about running or passionate about the team, which would you take? Passionate about the team. You gotta have, people ask me that question a little differently in clinics. They'll say, would you rather have a, a, a winning team or a together team? 
And I say, well, you got the wrong order. When you got a together team, you can have a winning team. So when a guy has a passion for the team and the team is running, you'll have a passion. And that's a key word in coaching that I say to guys, you got to love your job and you got to have a passion for what you do if you're going to coach. I mean, how can I coach 52 years? I, you don't get rich. You don't make a lot of money. But it's in the heart and the spirit and the helping kids go out to be like you guys now, making movies and doctors and lawyers, hand-boning them, you know, and you touch their life. That's where your reward is at. And it's a great life if you are passionate and you love your job. If you don't love your job, then go do something else. Stupid. I know so many people hate their job. They've been working that job 40 years and they hate to go to work. I never missed, I never missed one day at York in 48 years for sickness. I went to school every day. I had pneumonia, broken leg, stress fractures, uh, strep throats. Never miss a day because I love my job. I wanted to be with my team every day. But that's me. But you heard John Smith say today, passion. That's my key word, man. Got to love what you do. That's my, that's my second home, York. I go there at 5.30 in the morning. I get home at 8 o'clock at night. You know, I had to have a great wife all these years, 51 years, that understands three nice children, which she basically raised because, you know, I was at the school most of the time. So I do love my job. I do have I still have it. I, that Tucko said to me down the time, you still got that enthusiasm? I said, you better believe it. He said, doesn't it get boring? I said, no way. It's just every time you hold that trophy up, 100% pure ecstasy for the boys and for the coach. And now I got a young guy help me, Charlie Kern, who is wonderful. And he's going to take over eventually, and he's wonderful. Yeah, 30 years from now, when you finally retire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> what, uh, what where do you see the, the long green line headed to? The uh, long green line is going to keep going as long as Charlie Kern's there, because the kids love him, and he's got a passion, and he loves what he does. He's got three little children. His wife is a former runner. Because you've got to have an understanding wife to be a coach. That, you know, I'm always home at night, but late at night. I'm not like a traveling salesman out of town and all, but you know, you don't get there right at 5 o'clock every night for dinner. You're getting home at 6.30, 7. And he's got an understanding wife, and he knows the program, and the kids love him, so they won't miss a beat. They'll say, Joe who? Well, we don't remember him. It's Charlie Kern. So the Lord sent me him, man. Excuse me for Better? No, it's okay. All right, so man. It's, it's, we gotta cut it anyway. Yeah, it's four thirty. Yeah. But I got one more question. Oh, okay. okay. Is this in the frame still? Well, you ask good it's questions, cool. man. Good questions. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? He's terrific. <laughs> terrific. <laughs> um, and you, you you say how you, you you know an understanding wife is important for a coach. Yes. Um, how do the uh, understanding girlfriends come into play for the athletes? Well, I tell you, it's hard. I, I I worry about my good guys when they get to be juniors and the girls start coming around because the girls can control everything. I mean, jump, how high, dear? Yes, you know, and they want them around all the time, and it just takes away from their focus. So I'm I'm always hoping that my good ones can get through high school before they start chasing around with the girls. And but you got to be lucky because they they can control these guys. I mean. It's like bird, dog, and heat, and they want them around all the time. They want them out late. They want to go 
dating. And, you know, if you're running 20 miles a day, you got to get eight or nine hours sleep. If you don't, you're going to get sick. And first sign is you get a sore throat right away that you're overtraining, you're not getting any rest. And as soon as they start going with the girlfriend, pretty soon they're getting sick all the time. And so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a balanced thing, and you can't really get involved in that too much because that's their life. But I try, to, I try to tell them, you be the boss. <laughs> Just you be the boss as long as you can control it. Do they tend to find that intimacy from the team rather than from a, an opposite, from a, a mate? Well, I don't think, I think you can get it from both areas. I mean, they get plenty of it if it's from our team, but it's possible as long as it's under control and you're not going out every night, getting three or four hours of sleep a night, you're going to break down. So they have to have some control. And I know that there's a lot of guys that there's no control, but, and I would be naive if I thought everybody on my team didn't, you know, every guy wasn't smoking or drinking. There's always three or four jerks that, but you know, it all sorts itself out. They don't make it at the end. They get their just reward in life because I, I also tell them the good Lord knows what you're doing. I don't, your mother and dad don't, but he knows and you'll get your just reward, trust me. Guy will pull a muscle, I'll find out 10 years later, well, the guy was a drunken bum. He got his just reward. I didn't know that at the time because I'm always the last guy to know. I trust everybody. And how, how much as far as just um, true training routine and stuff has affected your athletes? I mean, well, did, did you have any tried and true workout? I mean, I'm sure every coach in America oh, yeah, I've got workouts. So. Oh, yeah, I've, but, but see, it's more than workout. It's the relationship. And you got to motivate them to do what the workout says you got to do. You know, you can be sending guys through those workouts, but they're only going half. Instead of running two ten and a half, they're running three minutes. And they're not running hard. So what I've, yeah, I've got an old guy that says, if it works, don't fix it. And we have a set routine. I make my workouts out in the summer for all fall. Starting with the schedule and the state meet, working backwards. And I know what I want to do every day. Da-da-da-da-da. And I believe in my system, and I get the kids to believe in the system, and it works. And then you explain to them why you're doing a workout, what it's going to do for your body, this workout, if you do it the right way. So then they kind of, see, kids want to know more than they, and when I first started coaching, it was just do what the coach says, like John Smith said when he was running. He just did what the coach said. But in the present day, they want to know more. They want to know why we're doing this. What the hell is the good of that? So when you tell them that, and then it works, they say, hey, he ain't as dumb as he looks. And so, yeah, I, boy, our last two weeks of the season, I got down to a science. 23 first, 10 seconds, 3 thirds, it works. Because the secret of coaching is to be ready on the day. Not the day before, the day after, but on the day. And we're always ready on the day. We aren't sick, we aren't hurt, we're ready. Because we're doing the right thing. And that goes back to the old... Uh I remember a long time I heard you speak and your key word was do it now. That's right. Do it now. Because normal is I'll start my training next week, the week after I'll do my homework for the big test two weeks from Tuesday. Do it now. And I heard a guy named W. Clement Stone say that. And he was a multimillionaire, $500 million he's worth. He owned combined insurance in Chicago. And he said, do it now. That's the secret. Don't put it off. So we're trying to do it now every day, living in the present. Like John Smith said, hey, you can't catch up with the past. Nobody guaranteed now, you know.
because Jesus, life goes by so fast. I mean, look, you've been out of school already almost 10 years. Whew. I've been out of high school since 1947. How many years is that? 47, 53, 57 years. Isn't that right? 47 to 2004? Yeah. Remember we had our five-year reunion, I thought, geez, am I getting old. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. And I'm still having fun. I still enjoy what I'm doing. And every day I get to school, I can hardly wait to get there and see my guys. They're kind and respectful and it makes you feel good. And then when everybody starts swearing in the gym, I just push the door closed. I'm not teaching anymore. I don't, because the language is awful. Even the girls are using the bad words, bad. Teach them that language. I know it. I, yeah, I was doing good until I slipped today with Tutko down there. <laughs> <laughs> he swears every other word. Oh, it's your vice. It is. That is my vice. We got enough yeah. for today? Thanks for listening to the Long Green Line podcast. Please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast to help us spread the word about this great work. And check out our movie website, longgreenlinemovie.com, for links to streaming the film, to purchase merchandise like hats, DVDs, T-shirts, and so much more. You can also get all the show notes for these podcast episodes. This podcast was produced by Greg Balza with music created by Kyle Whitman. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Arnold. These podcast interviews are also now shared on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash longgreenline. Check us out on youtube.com slash longgreenline. Check us out on Instagram, run underscore longgreenline. Talk to you next time on the Long Green Line podcast. Have a good one.